0: Fake,
1: fake, fakety, fake.
2: Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far right podcast, Rebel News, then talk about Nazis and Hitler with my friend Caitlin. Great. This episode, we will be covering the week of November 25th. How are you, Caitlin?
0: I'm doing okay. It's been going well. No complaints. (laughs) (laughs) Life is
2: grand. Awesome. In this episode, we will have our very first interview with. uh, Mo al Qasim. so special thanks for his desire to appear on our podcast. Woo-hoo. I also want to remind people to pay attention midweek because we will also be releasing our first episode of our breakdown of the book Shakedown by Ezra Levant, <laughs> so stay tuned.
0: You had to make it rhyme?
2: Well, I think I did it on accident first, and then I was like, "You did it. On purpose.
0: I did it. <laughs> you definitely did. You're like, what rhymes?
2: Listen, I'm not going to give away all my my tricks and tips. All right. Uh, One last thing I want to update people uh, on our new Patreon goals and tiers, which you can find over at patreon.com slash imperial news. So our first tier that we have, I I decided to change the names so that they were more relevant to our podcast. So the first one for a dollar a month, you become a member of the media party. And for that, you will receive a one-time only shout out show for five dollars a month you become a member of the laurentian elite where you will receive a shout out every month and we i learned when i researched because we didn't know what the hell that meant when uh, sheila said it basically means like cities that are attached to the saint lawrence waterway so montreal quebec city and toronto so it's like this uh eastern canada central canada versus western canada bullshit that they get into but anyway so if you pay five dollars a month you become a member of the Laurentian Elite, where you will receive a shout-out every month. And for $10 a month, you become a foreign-funded environmentalist. And for that, you'll get a shout-out every month and have access to uh, a weekly Discord hangout. That we'll have. And lastly, for $20 a month, you will become Ezra's greatest nemesis, which is Joel Pollock's interrupting cell phone. And <laughs> this will get you a shout-out every week. Uh and access to our weekly Discord Hangouts, and we'll also allow you to request a topical episode. So we did the episode where we went back in time to learn about Faith Goldie. If there's a certain aspect of Ezra that you want us to investigate, we'll do a go-back-in-time sort of thing. The other thing is I have three goals listed. So the first is when we reach $50 a month, I'll start releasing show notes uh, with our sources and all that stuff to our patrons. The second is if we sustain $200 a month for a few months, we will upgrade our sound equipment. And the third goal is that if we reach $300 a month, I will write the music and uh, lyrics to the national anthem for the country of Albumbia. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, consider uh, donating if you can, and we will be forever grateful for helping us to continue putting in the work. So again, that's patreon.com slash imperial news. Check it out. And now, for the fun week of <laughs> the Imperial Roundup!
1: Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy! I'm a weirdo.
2: All right, are you ready for some uh, Nazi stuff?
0: Oh, yeah. Always ready for Nazi stuff. <laughs> Right, right off the bat, not doing Nazi stuff. Just no, right, Nazis, right,
2: Just to be clear, so we're not. We'll, well, now we're just talking about Nazis. Nazi stuff comes later. Uh, someone called Sheila a Nazi, mm. and Ezra sued them, mm. and he says this is fine. Like he's he's trying to walk this line of being like, I'm still cool with free speech, guys, <laughs> even though I'm suing people for calling other people Nazis. And he says the reason why you can sue for something like Nazi is because it's a super specific term. Unlike just your run-of-the-mill casual insult. Nazi means, you know, 1930s, jack-boot, brown shirt kind of thing, right? Therefore, it is it's defamatory not fascism, and right? not just insulting.
0: <laughs> so it's not fascism. It's a certain aesthetic that's sure. tried. Well, to Well, I Romans don't know. I, I guess like because he,
2: well, he ends up playing a clip of Sheila where I guess Sheila was at a, one of the concentration camps in Europe, and she basically says that, like, calling people Nazis trivializes the Holocaust and stuff like this. And she's like, Nazi means, like, you're a 1930s national socialist. I do think this will be a hard argument to make in court because I don't think not when people use Nazi today, it has sort of taken on this meaning to mean what you were saying, which is, like... You're a fascist piece of shit, like yeah. it, it doesn't mean that you're like uh <laughs> you know you you were uh part of the beer putsch in, <laughs> yeah. in Germany right uh anyways, so they sued this guy and he settled for uh twelve hundred dollars and he posted a public tweet apology onto his Twitter account. They settled was, with him? I think. They just want to, like, scare people, I think, is the main tactic here. And I'll say that because later on, Ezra starts to brag that they're succeeding. For example, when they hosted their Wexit debate, mm-hmm. it didn't. they didn't get deplatformed. And so they're arguing that since they did all these lawsuits after their Edmonton deplatforming, that they're winning. <laughs> people are backing down. But here's the thing. So... We covered last week Ezra basically insinuating that the people who were calling him a Nazi were actually the real Nazis. And we said that this was weird because if he had the the ability to sue them for defamation for calling him a Nazi, can't they now sue him for calling them a Nazi? And let's just say he does it again.
1: I told you about our lawsuit the other day to sue the leftists who bullied the theater owner in Alberta to cancel two book signings we had to rip up our contract. I think it's the same thing. The professor, um, this, this professor here, Nancy Lavelle at U of Alberta, like David Barrett at U of Calgary, should have known better. I mean, if she disagrees with us, she should be able to use her words. She's a professor, she's obviously smart. So why not debate us or ignore us or have a counter event but to demand a theater, cancel a book signing, I bet she hadn't even read my book. Why was she against it? I'm not going to call her a Nazi, but that actually is one of the things Nazis did. They burned books they disagreed with. That's a Nazi move.
2: I'm not going to call her a Nazi, but it's a Nazi move, what she did. Hmm. That's <laughs> that's pretty close to calling her. Or like, Couldn't they argue the same thing of like, When I call you a Nazi, I'm using it as an analogy that you're engaging in behaviors that are reminiscent of.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly what that is.
2: Yeah, it's just so silly. So Nancy Lovell is one of the activists. He's suing for breach of contract, but also for defamation. And the interesting thing is that she actually didn't call him a Nazi. She called him a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. And he's still suing her for defamation. Yet this beginning of this piece, he started talking about how like only not like Nazi is one of those things you can sue for because it's very hyper and specific is white supremacist. Like that's not picking out uh, an ideology like the, the, the 1930s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's picking out some sort period. of like ideology. So even his argument here sort of like breaks down, which is weird. I then talked about, yeah, then he goes on to brag about the Wexit stuff and how he's winning and why didn't they de-platform the Mm -hmm. Wexit thing. And I have to say, why didn't anyone de-platform the Wexit thing? (laughs) Someone else can go, next time he holds any event, just de-platform him. Make him feel like he isn't winning. Ezra then complains that this is only happening to people on the right, Caitlin.
0: Nick, well, they're victims. (laughs) They're really hard done by.
1: And by the way, it's not even a two-way street. I've never in my life ever heard of conservatives de-platforming a leftist, have you? Never even once. Not once in my life have I heard of a conservative physically attacking a liberal, especially a liberal reporter, in the manner that each one of these videos here shows our reporters being attacked in some way. I think every single one of our reporters uh, <laughs> that, we've, that we've had is being attacked uh, in some way.
0: About this is like their reporters are assholes. Yeah, they like chase down people. You had David Menzies just when we first started recording this show. Yeah, he went out and he chased down a Arassist, trans woman.
2: Shoves their cameras yeah. in their faces.
0: Or was Kean? Uh, Kean, Yeah. Yeah. Went to Greta Thunberg and like wouldn't leave her alone, even yeah. though they kept asking him to leave Please them alone. Leave.
2: We will call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> And so, so the one dynamic I want to address here is that maybe left-wing events never receive this level of protest because they aren't promoting violence and discrimination, or their reporters aren't being harassed because they're are being assaulted because they're not shoving their cameras in people's faces and not leaving when they're asked to. Right? Yeah. Uh, but he's also wrong. <laughs> there have been many attempts to ban, uh, for example, communist groups on campus including there's been campaigns on other campuses. I believe Carleton is one of them where uh, groups were campaigning to remove any symbols of the hammer and sickle off campus. Uh, there have also been attempts to deplatform and remove Palestinian groups quite frequently. And for example, in April 2019, right-wing politicians and protesters fought to prevent Linda Sarsour from speaking in Winnipeg, oh, yeah. which was a recent example.
0: I mean, like even you get doxed a lot as well oh. so maybe not deplatformed but like even at our university campus we had um it was basically like a take back the night event where women and allied men came together and we like marched around the campus just shouting things out based on um, misogyny and sexism that happens at our school And while that was going on, there was a bunch of guys that were filming us and following us and then trying to almost, like, trick us, like, to say certain things. And that was, like, really annoying. And that's also a way that you do get deplatformed in a sense because you delegitimize the groups by, like, making them look a certain way on the internet, right? But so we ended up getting followed. And at the end of it, some guy kept asking to come take a picture of my sign. But I knew he was like it was just off right so I kept saying no and he was trying to get like videos and pictures of us to like post online to like make a counterpoint to what we were doing um one of my friends they are pro pro pro-Palestine and they actively like speak against Israel and there's a group on campus of um pro-Israel supporters Mm -hmm. that follow him around at different even if it has nothing to do with the actual like pro-Palestine cause, they'll just follow him around and they'll take pictures of him while he's at other doing other things in his life and then try to like make him look bad as well. Yeah, so it's like fa- intimidation
2: rather than like a strict deplatforming. Which I
0: actually think is worse because yeah. you're in like real life and someone's following you around with a phone and a camera, and then also just trying to find a way for you to slip up or like do something that could be twisted in a way. So then it's like you're very self-conscious. Well, you're you're doing these things and you're also kind of being stalked, right? So, which is like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's actually breaking laws, not telling certain groups that they can't say certain things on the internet or go to schools and do... Horrible books. Yeah, I mean, those, those
2: behaviors sound way worse than just some activist calling up a theater and going, Can you please not platform this Exactly. Asshole. Because
0: like you're not actually intimidating them. You're not going and saying, like, get out, right? Like, or else this is gonna happen to you. No, you're just you're saying... not doing any threatening, but like following people around happens a lot on the left and it's really creepy and it happens to women especially. And it's usually, you know, grown ass men doing it to us. So you have that additive layer of being followed by a grown man and that's intimidating in its own self. Right. And then you have it where it's like people are taking pictures of you without your consent, even in like private, you know, private areas where they shouldn't or should be asking permission.
2: That reminds me too, because there's probably going to be a lot of cases too where pro choice groups on campus get the same kind of treatment and also probably get speakers that they want to bring to campus, try to get deplatformed by pro life speakers. I almost I mean, I didn't research that one or have an example, but I just thought about it right now, but I almost guarantee that that has happened as well. But either way, I mean, it's this weird... Ezra constantly wants to do this. That like It's only ever happening to the right, and that's just not true at all. No, no, no. Then in the interview segment, Ezra has on Manny Montenegreno, and they discuss Trudeau's new cabinet. I guess they put out the the name of people with a, what was the one new one that everyone's talking about the uh, minister of middle class prosperity or oh yeah yeah. anyway stupid stuff and i think they criticize that as well they basically they criticize people that i would criti- criticize too and so i'm just like cool <laughs> uh they then end on uh both of them started conspiracy Theory theorizing that Trudeau will not build the Trans Mountain pipeline mm-hmm. again, which we already discussed. That yeah. technically, it's already been started construction, but there's holdups on like certain land issues and certain cases that still have to get worked out. But that's the nature of it. So I can't wait till when the pipeline finally gets built and they're all, like, I I'd like to see like how they either will re- react to that or whether they'll just like ignore it completely. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, and they they also said that if the pipeline doesn't get built, the Trudeau Liberals will probably blame the NDP or the Bloc, and I actually think that's true as well. But mm-hmm. we'll see. Anyway, so that was that, and we're now on to November twenty sixth, and Ezra begins the show by bringing up that stupid science article with the fake signatures that we talked about a couple of weeks yeah, ago, yeah. and. Again, he's focusing on this because Ezra can't actually argue with the facts uh, that were attached to the article itself. and it only has to point out that the something like 11,000 signatures that were on it were actually, some of them were faked. And anyways, it was a whole thing that we covered a couple weeks ago, so you can check that out. He then spends the uh, rest of the episode criticizing uh, people's credentials, such as the CBC science reporter that like talked about it. He then criticizes Bill Nye. <laughs> and he plays an unrelated clip by a comedian from his Netflix show as if to cast doubt on Bill Nye. Like, I'm, It was so stupid. And then uh, he points to someone claiming warming is bad, but then he's like, but he used to be in the Obama administration. So it's like all his arguments are like, these people are just connected with lefties and therefore they're wrong rather than any of the actual science behind it. He then has AOC, a clip of AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she says that climate change is going to have like severe effects in like 10 years. And he laughs about it, saying that people who make 10 year predictions are like cult leaders, because like by the time the 10 years come, people will forget about it. And you can keep like pushing it further out 10 years, 10 years. And I'm like, Ezra himself has made similar doomsaying yeah. predictions, especially about Muslim immigrants and demographics and how we're going to decline. And he's he's like lost his shit on like predictions about that like Muslims are going to become the predominant culture in Canada in like 200, 300, 500 years. Like we've covered those things. So it's like, Five hundred years—it's <laughs> a time frame that, like, at least AOC will still be around within the ten years that you can call her out if she's wrong when we, yeah. when we get there, right? Uh, <laughs> but then he finally says something somewhat substantial, and it is probably—I mean, this is like a top bar to like reach, but this is probably one of the stupidest fucking things he's ever said. <laughs> So we're gonna play
1: it. Now look at that terrifying picture on the CBC's website. Wow, that's very global warming-ish, isn't it? Um, But those are actually Australian wildfires, uh, which apparently, uh, by implication here, only started happening in recent years since Trump became president or something. They've never happened before. (laughs) Now it's true, there have been some bad Australian brush fires. So what, what caused them was the global warming. Well, according to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, that's Australia's CBC, uh, they've actually all been caused by humans or, in some cases, lightning. Here's a story from the ABC Last week, we learned that the Binnaburra fire, which destroyed the historic Binnaburra Lodge in southeast Queensland, was started by a carelessly discarded cigarette. And the Gold Coast Hinterland bushfires the week before may have been started by army live firing exercises at the Kokoda Barracks a spokesman for the Australian Defense Force has conceded we know that hot dry and windy weather increases the risk of fire starting but here's what we know about what actually provides a spark the nine categories of bushfire ignition you can see them smoking arson sparks from railroads campfires lightning none of the nine are global warming sorry the cbc's lying to you again
2: the reason why this is so i mean it should be obvious everyone's listening going no one says the global warming is the thing that actually lights the fire yeah and he literally mentions droughts and windy like droughts in the thing and it's like well ezra what caused the fucking droughts? Because that's global warming, <laughs> and that's why people like, like, it's I'm just like, how is this convincing? Like, he can't be that stupid, Getty, or like, I have no clue how his audience listens to that and goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, global warming is bullshit."
0: Oh, well, it's very, very easy, Jody. They don't know, research I just, these I things. I can't relate
2: to it. It's <laughs> <Okay. laughs>
0: so hard. <laughs> like so but you know what i talked about a couple of weeks ago about not being critical when you're getting sources and this is just like a great example of it because if i read something it was like there's nine causes to bushfires, right and then i read those nine causes right you're not actually critically thinking (laughs) of what originally caused those incidences to actually happen you'd think the root cause is the fact that we have droughts yeah that's it and then you'd come up with your own <laughs> theory to why droughts exist, right? Rather than actually learning the implications of global warming causing
2: droughts. No, granted, the, the, those downstream things matter. So, in the case of like California, they're knowing that like trees are leaning on like the power lines and it's creating sparks and stuff yeah. like that. So, PP and G. Which should be nationalized et cetera. Et cetera. <laughs> they they're now going trying to like chop down trees from like the power lines and stuff so even though global warming has exacerbated exacerbated the droughts making those kind of fires more likely you still want to do the like do the things to prevent the, the immediate cause but that doesn't mean that like global warming isn't implicated in the fact that fires are happening more frequently in the first place yeah. Which, like, I don't know, like, Ezra made that stupid claim at the beginning that somehow we're only talking about this because, like, Trump got elected. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I've, I have know people from Australia, and this is something that they talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, so fucking stupid. He then uh, starts going after the Paris Agreement and talks about how the agreement is uh, just used as PR.
1: Now, let me tell you about one piece of jargon first, NDC. You saw that in the CBC story. Here's their official definition. Nationally determined contribution. Submissions by countries that have ratified the Paris Agreement, which presents their national efforts to reach the Paris Agreement's long-term temperature goal of limiting warming to well below 2 degrees Celsius. So it's all the promises that politicians make of the UN. That's an NDC. It's a promise. And by the way, no country, especially not Canada, has kept their promise, the point is to make the promise, get a lot of PR, get the CBC to say how good you are, it's not to actually destroy your economy. No one's keeping these promises, these NDCs.
2: The reason why I wanted to play that is because something happened almost a, a year ago to this day that I remember happening because I would go to the Yellow Vest protesting at City Hall and they would always complain about this. And so I was like, my guess is Azar had talked about this, which was the UN Global Migration Pact, which, again, was a non-binding UN pact. <laughs> and so he's, he's making this kind of like, oh, the Paris Agreement, it means nothing. It's just mm-hmm. this PR thing. Yet when the UN Global Migration Pact happened, everyone was shitting their pants on the right, being like, we're getting rid of Canadian sovereignty and they're going to like flood us with Muslims. And of course... I went back a year ago to uh, Ezra Levant uh, talking about the UN migration pact. And again, back then it wasn't like, oh, it's just PR, they're just signing it so they can look good, blah, blah. blah. It's like, no, like, this is going to destroy sovereignty. <laughs> it's like, uh, and it's weird because, like, he could do the same thing with the Paris Agreement, which is that he could say that. They're they're signing onto the Paris Agreement because they really do want to fight global warming and it is going to tank our economy. So it's weird that he's taking this like
0: probably PR because stance. he wants to say that it's like not even a threat, like it's just yeah, PR, maybe. right? Because if you legitimize global warming as something to be a concern about, then you well, know I mean, what I'm but, saying. But I... like, he would rather legitimize the issue of like Muslims coming in and taking jobs and like. You know, ruining our way of life rather than global warming was just like, oh, it's just a funny hoax that all these leftists created to scare us, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's not. Yeah, it's not as like dire that they're signing on. Although, like, they could fear monger about the like, our economy is going to collapse, or, which is one thing that they do. No, they're
0: like often, they're not going to but... even do this because yeah. you know the economy is good, right? So like, <laughs> gotta keep that good old economy up, right? Don't listen to these hoax people right these leftists creating their
2: he then like smug he then smugly points out he's like and even if they reach the paris agreement goals the earth according to their predictions is still going to warm and i'm like so (laughs) like as if like if warming is bad mitigating it even a little bit is still a good thing yeah yet he thinks it's like checkmate leftists (laughs) it's like,
0: God, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> he then starts pointing out uh, that India and China account for larger portions of emissions. And again, this is stupid because one, maybe these countries would do something if we also do something, but also Ezra's ignoring the more important statistic, which is that Canada tends to rank higher than China and India in terms of emissions per person. Mm-hmm. So China and India are huge, tons of people. So of course like just relative to the amount of emissions that come out of the countries, it's higher. But if you account for how much uh, how much emissions are occurring based on each individual person, people in the West, like America and Canada, are far worse at this. So we use way more energy per person okay. than the other countries do. And that's bad because we should be using less. We can use less, right? And hopefully our government should be moving in a direction that we... Use less or we all die. Yay! Stuff. <laughs> the, the we then go to the interview section of the episode, and Ezra decides to interview uh, Kian, who's in Hong Kong. And there's nothing new here really, but Ezra does say a bit more directly that Hong Kong got its principles of democracy straight from Britain, which. I mean, what does that say about the people of Hong Kong? It's like you're diminishing them, saying they they couldn't have come up with these ideas themselves, right? Like they had to be colonized by Britain in order to somehow realize what what freedom Mm. is. And there's aspects of... Because I briefly looked at some of the history and the Chinese of Hong Kong, when Britain first colonized them up until the First World War, they had no rights as citizens, and it wasn't till after the World War when they reclaimed it. Yeah, that they were given some semblance of citizenry. So we like even then, like it's not like Britain was <laughs> necessarily good to them. So yeah, if anything, they and for one, they fought to like let Britain leave in the first place, right? Yeah. and that actually only happened in like the nineties, I think. But anyway, so that was Hong Kong stuff. We're now on to the 27th, and this one is a bit more of, uh, again, a fun-ish topic before we get to Hitler. Uh, (laughs) Ezra went all the way to Alberta to cover the court case of the turkey farm. Oh my gosh. And he gets there, and the court is closed due to weather, so he just wasted his whole time (laughs) flying out there, (laughs) and he had nothing new to talk about. So he's, like, recording from his car, and then he ends up at one point calling up Sheila to shoot the shit. (laughs) And uh, so I I will go over a few of the claims, though, because some of them, like, again, they're, like, really silly. The first thing he does say over and over again in this episode is that the Hutterite farm was chosen because they're pacifists and wouldn't fight back. And we know, because I covered this last time, that the farm was chosen due to allegations of cruelty and video evidence that the activists claim show the farmers burning non-marketable turkeys alive. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know that that's true. The, the video footage could be edited, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. uh, this is relevant to their global news is in on the whole thing conspiracy theory. Because when I went back to watch the global uh, television report, they claim the barn was chosen for convenience. Like, that's what the reporter says. Mm-hmm. They chose the barn for convenience. And then they cut to an activist saying, well, we could have chosen any barn in the area because, like, this stuff is happening everywhere. But that's, like, saying they chose it for convenience is not what that activist was actually saying. Yeah. And so if they were really in on it, like, they had they had none of their stories straight. So there's, straight. Like, contradicting yeah the evidence. Yeah. Uh, which tells me that, like, it's clear Global was not <laughs> was not in on it. But then Ezra claims that the turkeys who were released probably died. So remember, the activists got, like, turkeys to be free. And again, this is stupid. Like, really what he's trying to do is, like, these people probably can't even raise turkeys. Like, they're just this stupid. But the turkeys were released to an animal sanctuary. Okay. Where they like can't, And it, that's even, like, listed in all the reporting of it, was they were released yeah. to a sanctuary. It's not like it's going to the activists' homes, where they're gonna, like, Hang out with some turkeys. <laughs> so then Ezra calls up Sheila because he's bored and lonely in Alberta, and so they're they're chatting, and uh, Ezra then goes through while he's on the phone with Sheila, he's like checking out their the activists' Instagram accounts. Okay. Which again, and he's focusing on the one being like, oh, she happens to be a model. And <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> And then Sheila calls one of them malnourished because she's a model. Like she's not even looking at the images, but because she's a model, like she must be malnourished. It's pretty friggin' weird. And then they start going into like conspiracy mode. And so I'm gonna play a little bit of that. This is the the global, global news is in on it. They had someone that was an inside job.
0: It's all
3: very strange how a news crew from two hours away was able to be there Right as the story happened
1: You know, um, I've just looked up, uh, while we're chatting here on, on my laptop, uh, the Edmonton Journal coverage post postmedia, CTV coverage. Yep. They all mention Maxwell Mingma's name. None of them mention that he's with Global. Now, maybe that's just lazy, and they didn't type his name into Google, but why w- this, to me, is a scandal of the highest order in, from a journalistic point of view? Yes, it's a crime. Yes, it's ecoactivism. Um, um, that has so we been nipped in kids. the bud. If you, th- this is, I tell you, a lot of anti oil sands extremists are watching how this is being treated, mm-hmm. and so far the RCMP and Doug Schweitzer have failed. But this is a journalistic crisis. It's fake news, and it's a, a news organization hiding its role in manufacturing the news. And I think that we need.
2: To do some digging here, Sheila. He's going to say something even more ridiculous. But notice what he just said there. We need to do some digging. They've been covering this for two months. Yeah. And haven't picked up a phone yet to just call Global Edmonton to figure this out. Well,
0: then they wouldn't have things to rant on about,
2: Jody. They've got to keep it alive, you know? But then here's where I think it, like, something... D- it's got to click in, because here he's reading the report. And now watch this.
1: Because obviously, Canada's so-called media critics won't. Um, the, the company itself, using the present tense, Maxwell ming is an employee at Global Edmonton. Obviously, they're just tickety-boo with this. They were fine with it the day before it was released in public. In fact, they were colluding to keep it a secret. This is a deep, deep
2: rot. So he, he finally gets to reading the article on his show, And realizes that they say is an employee, but doesn't stop to go, what does that mean? He's just still, and here's like the evidence, like they're still stuck on reporter. I'm going to play another clip because they didn't call him a reporter here. And I just want to prove they're still calling him a reporter. So Mm -hmm. here we go. That made me mad.
1: It made me mad when I later discovered that one of the people who in fact was supposed to be on trial today, uh, Maxwell Ma is his name, was a global news reporter. And my theory is that this was sort of an inside job, a media job. He was the liaison that tipped off Global. And Global knew about this, obviously,
2: but didn't mention it at all. So they're really hooked on this idea that he's a reporter. Yet when he read the article out loud on his show, it's clear that it says employee, like not reporter. And so one, you can interpret this as some sort of inside job thing. Or I'm like, you can interpret this as Maxwell being an IT person working for Global and that like no one knew of his involvement until he was arrested, because why would they? Yeah. But I do know one thing that also uh, counts against the conspiracy theory, which is that the television report was for Global Calgary. It wasn't even for Global Edmonton, which is where Maxwell Ming works. works. And in fact, the only article online that mentions that he's an employee of global is the global edmonton online report because they yeah. didn't actually have anybody on the scene there so they must have known that he was an employee once they found out he got arrested but like again if he was an it person how would they know that he was yeah. going like five hours south to do the thing because here's the other thing it's like edmonton is three hours away from calgary so it's like their news teams probably don't even really communicate as yeah, much yeah. as you think that they would. Like, I don't think our London people are constantly in cahoots with Toronto that's two hours away. Like, they're probably primarily focused in London and surrounding area stuff, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's probably, maybe they have, like, big events where they go and meet up. But, like, either way. And so it's three hours from Edmonton to Calgary. And then it's an extra two hours south of Calgary to where this thing was. So it's, yeah. like, five hours away from Edmonton. But, so... There's no reason to even think when the reporters arrived on scene that they would have recognized the dude at all because he works in Edmonton. Mm -hmm. So, again, I mean, it's just another bit of evidence. I've been trying to contact people from Global. I want to crack this nut before Ezra does and find out that he's just like, oh, he's just the guy who gets his coffee. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But, uh... So far, none of them have responded to me. I've sent them several emails. I'm wondering, like, there's probably, like, rumors going on. It's like, who's this guy? Who just this Jody guy. Just yeah, that's probably what's happening. <laughs> uh, and if anyone are listening, please just tell me. I want to know. And uh, so that's that segment. He got no other info because, again, the court got canceled because of snow. And he had footage of the trucks going by, and he was tweeting people in the ditch and stuff. So, yeah, weather was pretty bad. But then Ezra talks to what a waste Joel. of time. Oh, I know what a Well, he tries to like defend it too. It was like funny because he's like, you know, Alberta's not too far away. It would have been worse if it was like on my way to like see Tommy and Britain and things get canceled. it wasn't. Yeah, better. that's a waste of resources <laughs> too. So whatever. But then Ezra has on our best friend Joel Pollock. Holy fuck! And they talk about Bloomberg entering the race and blah, 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 politics, I don't give a shit. It was really Mm -hmm. boring, but I do want to play this. They aren't really going to be able to help him directly. They might lay off investigating other (laughs) candidates. That's a reminder, if you want to donate $20, you could be Joel's interrupting cell phone. And uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. So Joel was back in his office again, and it went off the whole freaking guy. (laughs) The other thing, uh, this this is just blows my mind, is every time Joel's on and Ezra asks him who he thinks is going to win, the 2020 Democratic uh, primary, he always goes for Kamala Harris. What? And I I don't, like, I feel like he's just going, she's a black woman, Democrats like minorities. Like, I feel like that's all that's going into his thought process. yeah. But even even my favorite was like this weekend, there was like a New York Times article published saying that her campaign is crumbling and like staffers are fighting yeah, with it's each awful. other. She's and... like
0: so low in the polls as well. I don't understand why he thinks that.
2: She's going to make a comeback. No. <laughs> then also, I just wanted to flag this because this seems to be a weird trend, but Ezra and Joel sort of like gave some praise to Tulsi Gabbard. And this tends to be a thing that like a lot of far right people even people like David Duke have been like throwing their support what behind the Tulsa Gabbard. Yeah.
0: That means she's problematic.
2: Well, I mean, she, she is. In, is involved in a cult. Yeah, <laughs> she's problematic. Very problematic. So I just wanted to note that for anyone who's interested in that side story Joel Pollock of Breitbart and Ezra Levant of Rebel. Both quasi into Tulsa Gabbard. So.
0: You know who I love that's running? Who? Like, I just, like, she's nowhere near leading, but I just love, love watching her because she's so fucking Will- wacky.
2: Is it Williams?
0: Yeah. I just love her. <laughs> I can't get enough of her.
2: Do you like, it's, is it her
0: chakras and aura? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just love it. Like, uh, I love how she's
2: all about, like, love defeating yeah. Mr. Trump <laughs> in the political arena. I do miss her in the, in the debates. She was just like, she would look in the camera and be like, we need to harness love. Yes.
0: <laughs> Actually, I saw this uh, thing on Twitter and it was like the Twin Peaks um, theme music playing while she was saying, I'm going to harness the energy of love. And Mr. Trump, I'll see you on the battlefield. Like just the way she says it. And you have the, the, the uh, theme music playing in the background. And it's so good. She is excellent. She needs to win. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. totally kidding. She but... removes
2: vaccination programs. Yeah. But you're, 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 <laughs> when I was when I was picking up my car, car, yoga. oh yeah, yeah. Well, mandatory yoga wouldn't be too bad. When I was picking up my car, I looked at the like screen. It was like one of those scrolling news things. Yeah. And they had this guy's name. And it was like this dude dropped out of the presidential race, and I was like, who? <laughs> <laughs> apparently just somebody just dropped out and oh, I don't even know who it but is but you know who
0: I love making fun of though Bullock
2: or Bullock or something I can't. No. no I don't know
0: Pete Buttigieg oh, Buttigieg he's the worst. how do you even say Buttigieg. That? Buttigieg. Buttigieg. I don't even care I just love the dance and making fun of it I, this... I don't understand why that was a thing oh my god it's fucking hilarious
2: like I just remembered like there was one day I think it was like last weekend where all day the Twitter was just people posting that fucking dance they yeah, even played yeah, yeah. it on Ezra's show last week. They played the clip of it.
0: There's this uh really funny Twitter post that kind of that went viral where it's like Emperor Pete's fourth term making me do the happy dance or making me do the mandatory happy dance, and it's like the girl and she's doing the dance but she's crying while doing it. I just love it. Uh so, Before,
2: so now that so since we're into it, it, since we're into it, I have to bring this up because <laughs> everyone's going on about joe biden biting his wife's hand have you seen this oh my gosh no (laughs) so so here's the thing and there's like this image and it's a really bad looking image of like his wife holding her hands out like this and biden's like chomping on that finger and the thing is when you watch the video i have to say even though like i hate biden and i wanted to lose and all this but like the video is actually kind of cute in my mind because like what it what it looked like was the wife is uh, I don't know her name so I'm calling her the wife Jill Biden I don't know she's waving her hands a lot and she like almost hits him on the face and he does one of those like he leans back kind of thing and then jokingly when it comes up again he goes ah like tries oh, okay. to bite it kind yeah. of thing but because somebody caught it at like a particular moment and the image is just fucking disgusting I I have to show it to you oh yeah here it is. <laughs>
0: Oh. It looks like he's actually licking his wife's he finger. He looks like like
2: his like skin is like falling off his body. He's just he's yeah. so disgusted. Oh, that's really creepy. Anyways, that has gone. This is the new Buttigieg dance. Is finger? Why Joe Biden's wife's finger in his uh, mouth? Joe
0: Biden's just falling
2: apart. Oh my god, he needs to go. Oh, you know, okay. His like slogan too is no malarkey. What? That's his campaign slogan. Sorry? No malarkey. It's on his bus. No malarkey. He's stuck in the fifties, kid. <laughs> I'm so confused. Anyways, it's good that we like lighten the mood because this is like the dark portion of the show. We're talking about Hitler. I'm gonna get oh we're it's we're entering some dark places. I predicted this kind of. We talked about Sasha Baron Cohen uh, last week. And I was like, it's weird that Ezra had brought him up because a couple of days later, he gave this speech that was like very pro getting rid of propaganda and bullshit yeah. off the internet.
0: I love Sasha Baron Cohen.
2: Yeah. So Ezra finds out that Cohen did this speech and he's not too happy about it.
0: Because it's deplatforming the right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And other things that we're going to
0: Did he say something like, this is how Hitler came to power.
2: No, <laughs> no, no. no it's, even, it's even worse than that. But uh, so he plays a bunch of clips from Cohen and his. He calls them racist. What? Yet funny.
0: How are they racist?
2: Well, this is this is like the where it gets complicated because he doesn't spell it out. And the thing I find it fascinating is. He Ezra himself doesn't explain why he finds these jokes funny, even though he calls them racist. Right? Now, I would say that what Cohen does, for people who don't know, if you don't know who Sashberg Cohen is, what's wrong with you? He did, like, for example, his character Borat, which was that you would pretend to be this like overt anti-Semite, and you would do things around like, uh, groups of people who are racist and bigoted but like maybe dog whistle and don't be so overt about it yeah and show that these people are on your on borat's side and we as the audience know that it's like holy holy shit like they're racist this is awkward why are they doing that and it exposes them right and so for one of the examples of this is cohen as borat he's at this country bar and he adds lyrics to the song where it basically says, throw the Jews down the well. And the audience is still continuing to clap and sing back about this. And the joke isn't like, ha ha ha, Boris is racist. This is funny. The joke is that white American Southerners are totally unfazed by this overt show of anti-Semitism. And oh my God, they're still clapping along with this thing. Like, that's like, yeah, it's funny in a well, very terrifying I watched way. I right?
0: Borat, like, I remember even kids on the bus, because I, w- I would have been 13 12 13 when that movie came out and i looking back on it it's like a lot of the kids actually just made fun of his character because it was like this very overt you know like foreigner and they were making fun of the fact that he was so foreign and that's what they got a kick out of
2: there's going to be some like demographic where that the subversiveness of it won't get across yeah like i was 20 would wouldn't it? Yeah, which know.
0: makes more sense to why, like, again, I was, like, 12. So, right. but in that sense... And when
2: you watch Cohen now, like, his what is This Is America or, or whatever America thing that he has, I mean, you get that now. Like, you watch it, and you're like, holy shit, I like, this person's doing an advertisement about giving guns to kids.
0: But, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it just, yeah, it goes to show how stupid, how so stupid people are. Yeah. <laughs> or you, even, like, the fact that they go along with it. Like, I'm like, how, like, he has an interview on that show with oj and he's pretending to be like giovanni oh, yeah. this italian designer and he's like talking about his girlfriend and he's like yeah i want to kill her you know like you did have ah, the yeah. knife to your wife right so that he then he goes oh man you're cracking me up don't no, just stop <laughs> I mean, he won't actually say he did it but it's yeah. just like the whole entire time he keeps making these jokes about killing his girlfriend and then oj is Cracking up, like, just laughing his head yeah, off. And, and then like you can see he's something. uncomfortable, yeah. too. And I, I just think he's brilliant. Like, the fact that he got that interview with O.J. And, like, yeah. it's like he's this close to saying it. It's really great.
2: You notice, like, the butt end of Bor. Like, this is why I found it so fascinating that Ezra would cover Cohen in a positive light last week. Yeah. Was that his humor is is directly confrontational to right-wing people. It always has been. Yeah. Like the butt ends of all his jokes are bigoted Well, I,
0: mean, uh, I don't know if I, I probably didn't say on the show, but after conversation, I was talking to you about Rick and Morty and you were like, oh, wait, you think you're smart? <laughs> <laughs> you think you're like smarter than me because you watch Rick and Morty? No, but. um, I don't watch Rick and Morty. That's, that's okay. okay. I just know the meme. Some right? of it's really yeah. fucking stupid. I'm not going to lie. But like the creator is actually like very left-leaning. And he does things like he tries to like troll right groups a lot of the times. He went on a radio show. I said this to you. I don't know if you watched it, but he called Joel Olstein's prayer line and did the his uh, voice character for for Rick Rick Sanchez. And then he's just really fucking around with the lady who runs Joel Olstein's prayer line. But he fucking hates Joel yeah. Olstein, right? And to, but, but these groups that are, like, right-leaning watch a show and there's, like, this huge, like, cult following of, like, yeah people that, like, fascism and watch his show. And so he fucking hates that. And so he has episodes where he's like making fun, directly making fun of fascism or making fun of like right-leaning groups or he'll have like, it's very subtle, but like his characters, these anime characters will have subtle lines making fun of certain groups of people that believe in certain things. But it's like these people watch it and enjoy it. So I'm not very surprised.
2: Well, there is, so we're going to get to a a clip eventually, which is going to sort of, because one of the concerns that a lot of people had with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's humor is the idea that even though he was doing this subversive act, some portion of the population would not be. will we'll see it at its surface level of just being funny, which is kind of what Ezra is doing here, mm-hmm. and just like find it funny because it's like ha ha ha. He is a racial stereotype, like you. Your friends might have done when they were thirty. That's so. yeah. That's what and it so is, like yeah. he did. He has throughout his career received negative pushback from that, but the the. So I'll play a clip. I'll just play this clip. We'll go on because we're going to touch a lot on a lot of these issues as we go forward. So we might Mm -hmm. as well just start plowing through it, but we're going to play a clip.
1: I realize that my presence here may also be unexpected for another reason. At times, some critics have said my comedy risks reinforcing old stereotypes. The truth is I've been passionate about challenging bigotry and intolerance throughout my life. As a teenager in England, I marched against the fascist National Front and to abolish apartheid. As an undergraduate, I traveled around America and wrote my thesis about the civil rights movement with the help of the archives of the ADL. And as a comedian, I've tried to use my characters to get people to let down their guard and reveal what they actually believe, including their own prejudice.
2: Before we get to what Ezra's going to say here, just want to point out, so there's as uh, uh Sasha Baron Cohen basically saying what I was just saying, mm-hmm. that there's subversive thing. And he's speaking at the ADL, which is the anti-defamation. So I didn't mention that last week because I actually didn't know where he gave this talk.
0: Well, well another thing as well is him himself is Jewish. Right. So like the character Borat making fun of those, Je- like it's a right. Jewish person doing all of this doing a social commentary doing
2: it because as he said he his intentions was to be subversive yeah even though he's aware of this criticism and the thing is that criticism that he's mentioning was actually levied against him by the anti-defamation league who he is now like speaking at okay so he like i just wanted to say that because there's like this you can tell there's a bit of like an inside joke going on there that you might not pick up on because they were the ones who criticized him for his portrayal in borat even though he's, like, aware of, like, look, I'm your ally, you know? Mm -hmm. I I actually have uh, fought uh, fascism and and care about these issues. But now we'll get into Ezra responding to this, and this gets super weird.
1: Okay, got it. So that's what you were doing. All right. When you were portraying Kazakhstan as an anti-Semitic mob that had the running of the Jew, you were just being ironic or trying to teach us a lesson or something. And yes. look, I thought that was funny, but it's a very Trudeau thing to say, um, hey guys, when I was making the anti-Semitic jokes, it was really a moment for you to learn? Yeah, no. Uh, now listen, I I think Borat's hilarious. I think Ali G's hilarious. I think Bruno and his other characters that flopped were a little less funny. I laughed guilty laughs at all of them, though. I mean. Even Sarah Silverman's jokes are funny. Something can be rude and also be funny. Something can be racist and also be funny. It's not nice to say, I know that, but Sasha Baron Cohen isn't nice. He's a comedian. It's different. I think he should stay in that lane. His job is to make us laugh. For him to revise history, revise his own history, and say that the whole thing um, was actually an ironic postmodern exercise in anti-racism, Yeah, that's the biggest joke of all.
2: This is what confuses me, because then why does Ezra find the jokes funny? Because like, I found them funny because of their subversive nature. But it sounds like Ezra is laughing because they are anti-Semitic. Yeah. But why is that funny? (laughs) Someone simply being racist is not a joke. It's only a joke if, in fact, it is ironic or exposing another deeper truth. Otherwise, it's just being racist. Which tells me that like that's Ezra finds it funny because he enjoys racism. Yeah, that's correct. And part of me is like, I can't believe Ezra is this stupid. <laughs> like part of like, how did he get this far in life? <laughs> I and daddy's money goes a long way. I don't know. And I, like, I can only think that he's aware that last week he praised his comedy, and now realizes he can't agree with Cohen's anti-racist purpose in his comedy, or else his audience will accuse him of being too PC, or either that, or Ezra is literally admitting he finds racial caricatures hilarious, and in in and of themselves, which is pretty fucking racist, if you ask me. Which is rich coming from someone who is currently suing other people for calling out his bigotry as defamatory. Huh. But even worse is that... So remember when the Anti-Defamation League, they, ma- they made a point of saying that uh, people could pick up on the stereotypes and th- they'll laugh in the same way that Ezra is laughing. And I think it's worse because one thing that Borat does, it's not just that people laugh at the anti-Semitism, but actually think that Borat is an accurate representation of a Kazakh or Muslims. Yeah. Since Kazakhstan is a predominantly Muslim country. And... You can tell that's the case because of how Ezra reacts to it.
1: Once upon a time, the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, fought against anti-Semitism in America. But look, anti-Semitism in America is, is pretty much gone. I don't know if it was ever that anti-Semitic to begin with. It's gone. America just isn't anti-Semitic anymore systematically at all. Except for new Muslim immigrants, I think, who were bringing anti-Semitism with them from their old homelands, like Syria or Pakistan. Uh, real Borats, I guess, are coming real. to a <laughs> But for some reason, the ADL doesn't seem to go after them. They're, they're pretty gentle with...
0: The- I think he finds Borat funny because I think he likes the idea that it's creating this Muslim that hates Jews. And he's like, yes, this is the truth. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's... As it fucking it. Yeah, he likes it because of that.
1: The squad. And I think it's because the ADL is really just a Democratic Party front group now. Their CEO, Jonathan Greenblatt, is a former senior aide to Barack Obama. So they're they're not really focused on fighting anti-Semitism. They're more interested in fighting against Republicans or conservatives, which isn't where most anti-Semitism comes from these days in America.
2: Oh, boy. When I heard that, I was pretty fucking pissed off. And uh, because, for one, the deadliest attack on the Jewish community in U.S. history occurred last, uh, well, just over a year ago at the Tree of Life Synagogue in yeah. Pittsburgh. It was perpetrated by a white supremacist, not a Muslim. Just two years ago, there was a rally held in Charlottesville where white supremacists marched with torches, saying, Jews will not replace us. These people were not Muslims. At this event was one of Ezra's employees, Faith Goldie, uh, who covered it and then went on an anti-Semitic podcast and joked about Ezra's Jewishness. Again, Faith Goldie, not a Muslim. White male Christians are far more likely to commit violent hate crimes than any other demographic, and this is true even in Canada as well, where we had the Quebec mosque shooting in 2017. This shooter was a fan of Gavin McGinnis. Gavin, who has been an employee of Rebel pretty much since the show began and continues to be a guest on the show, and who created the Proud Boys, who are a hate group. Gavin, not a Muslim. And let's remember, just months before Charlottesville, Gavin, Faith Goldie, Sheila Gunreed were all on a two-hour live stream cracking anti-Semitic jokes at Ezra's expense for two hours on a live stream. Sheila, who is still an employee at Rebel, and who recently forced some guy on Twitter to settle a lawsuit for calling her a Nazi, referred to her Jewish boss as a unicorn on a live stream titled, titled 10 Things I Hate About Jews. But it was all just a joke, right? But even in the context of politics, Ezra's anti-Semitism does not come from Republicans. Meanwhile, Republican Representative Steve King, who's friends with Faith Goldie, and buys into the whole white genocide conspiracy theory, he was recently censured and removed from committee appointments after he said, white nationalist? white supremacist, Western civilization? How did this language become so offensive? Of course, Ezra thinks that the only anti-Semite in the world is Ilhan Omar because she dared criticize Israel, a state, not an ethnicity, and has apologized for the possibility of her words being interpreted as anti-Semitic. It feels, to me, way more anti-Semitic to deny the reality of anti-Semitism when right-wing anti-Semitic violence is currently happening, and also it is super islamophobic to then claim that left-wingers and muslims are the real anti-semites especially when violent hate crimes against muslims are on the rise yeah and violent crimes against muslims are way higher than they are against jews currently even though hate crimes in general more likely happen to jewish people so fuck ezra is basically what i'm trying to say uh And this is exactly why I do this podcast, because Ezra is dangerous. He gives cover to anti-Semites while while, uh, promoting his anti-Islamic bigotry to an audience of angry white people who commit hate crimes, so fuck them. But we aren't done yet. Cohen then starts talking about Alex Jones, and then Ezra decides to say something about Alex Jones.
1: Yeah, about Alex Jones. Imagine someone saying that Jeffrey Epstein ran a child rape cartel with powerful political people like Prince Andrew. That conspiracy theorist ought to be shut down. (laughs) Look, I don't agree with everything Alex Jones says. Some of it is conspiracy theory, some of it is conspiracy fact. Nothing like the conspiracy theory, the Russian collusion conspiracy theory that the New York Times and the Washington Post championed for two years that was finally debunked by a Democrat lawyer named Robert Mueller. But imagine thinking that a conspiracy theory could actually be squelched by censorship. I think it's sort of the opposite. It, censorship makes people more curious about what was, what's being hidden from them. And doesn't it actually prove Alex Jones right about an international cabal of elites telling you what you can and can't hear? Infowars is the name of Jones' channel. How does anything in this speech by Sasha Baron Cohen actually counter his thesis. Doesn't it prove Jones' motto? There's a war on for your mind.
2: So we want to cover a few things before we get into the big one at the end there, which is that this whole Epstein thing is weird because Jones is not the only one talking about it, uh, and hasn't particularly uncovered anything of importance. Mm-hmm. Although he has been involved in other conspiracy related conspiracy theories like Pizzagate. The other thing about Mueller is also really stupid. Mueller being a lifelong Republican, not a Democrat, and that Mueller, the Mueller report argued there was no evidence directly implicating Trump and Russia in a conspiracy, but did acknowledge that the campaigns were working to each other's mutual benefit, yeah. which is a kind of collusion. But also, a lack of evidence doesn't mean there actually was no conspiracy. It just Especially, means they haven't found anything. Exactly. Yeah. Especially considering that a lot of the evidence was being destroyed or withheld, Hence, the second portion of the Mueller report, which was citing all the incidents of obstruction. And I also want to mention that Ezra was down with Trump way before Alex was. So I went back and and looked at like older episodes. And right from the beginning of the Rebel podcast, Ezra was already on the top wagon. And this was before the primaries had even started. And not only that, Ezra had Roger Stone as a guest on a show uh, long before Stone became an employee, or like shortly before Stone became an employee of InfoWars. Roger Stone is now a convicted felon as the result of the Mueller investigation. So, But more importantly, the last point about the international cabal of elites is just super weird, since, well, one, Alex tends to suggest that they're really demonic space demons. <laughs> but if you listen to uh, uh, one of the shows that inspired our shows, uh, Knowledge Fight, our comrades, inspiration, give them a listen. They detail that a lot of Alex's thoughts come directly from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, a known fraudulent anti-Semitic book that promotes the idea of a secret cabal of Jews dictating world affairs. Ezra describes it as an international cabal of elites, which means he knows Jones speaks like this. And Ezra himself talks about globalists and Soros on his own show. And in this segment, he's suggesting that the ADL, Jewish organization, and Cohen, a Jew, are providing Jones evidence that there exists a cabal of international elites, for Alex Jones' code word for Jews, is trying to silence them. <laughs> and look, if you're currently like being sued by Ezra for defamation because you called him a Nazi, I think you may have been given a defense
0: yeah (laughs) so you're Um, like he really is a nazi
2: well like what's like what is and here's the thing so on my way here to record i haven't listened to the full episode but alex jones had on a full on out anti-semite on a show the other day yeah because of his adl thing and it's it's a friendly interview
0: yeah, I can believe that.
2: And this guy is like like this stuff about there being a secret cabal of Jews controlling the world. Like he's not he doesn't hide it.
0: Yeah.
2: And I'm not gonna name his name. You can go with the most recent episode of Knowledge Fight, they discuss it. It's uh So Ezra is now defending Alex Jones, who Alex Jones invited a a like a legit anti-Semite on a show, being like, ah, oh, what does he mean about this secret cabal of elites? And now the ADL is giving him evidence for it. Like, he's buying into the same fucking narratives. Yeah. Ah, uh, so then. <laughs> Ezra then goes on to praise Alex for merely being a dissenter of the establishment. And that, is, that alone is worthwhile to have him back on social media. Even though he's spreading protocols of the elders of Zion bullshit. <laughs> but interpreted in terms of space aliens. <laughs> or demons. Demon aliens? I don't know. Alex Jones is. Not weird. reptilians. No, I don't think he's a David Icke. Have it like so there's the one cl- clip of Alex Jones where he's like it's not human intelligence. <laughs> <And he's> like <laughs> But then he like it gets like weirdly biblical and he starts yeah. So it's they're like demonic space beings. I don't know. Alex Jones is fucking weird.
0: So there's spirits that have ascended to space. Aye. And they Listen, they
2: have the life extension Illuminati. technology. <laughs> so that's, that's, what? They have the life I want the life extension technology. That, that, that's his like big gripe is that they won't share with him the life extension technology. Oh no. But anyways, so that's that's the Alex Jones bit. And that's I wonder if Alex weird.
0: Jones is married.
2: Uh he was divorced. I don't know if he's remarried. Mm-hmm. Because that was like the huge court cases recently with him because he was fighting a uh, custody battle in court. Uh before we move on with the Alex thing, I just remembered as well that uh, Ezra actually appeared on Infowars back in 2017. Hmm. I haven't listened to the show, and from what like I gathered from the pieces of it, it's just your standard anti-Muslim bullshit. Oh, great. But yeah, but he was on the show. Anyways, so then, Ezra engages in what I can only describe as a surreal activity, which is he plays a clip of Cohen talking about anti-trans bigotry being spread online. And then Ezra rebuts him by being like, yeah, but it's true. <laughs> Trans people are bad. And then uh, Cohen, he'll play the clip of Cohen being like, spreading misinformation about immigrants is bad. And then Ezra being like, yeah, but that stuff is also true. <laughs> and then Ezra plays a clip of Cohen criticizing global warming denialism. And of course, Ezra's like, yeah, but that's also true. And it's just like, my God. It was, it's a very weird exchange. It was too long that I didn't clip it, but it was, it was very awkward. And then Ezra criticizes Cohen for not talking about China. And it's like, why why would he talk about China at an ADL event? (laughs) It's It's like, of course, it's like, well, he didn't mention my enemy, so I'm upset about it. Anyways, Ezra then ends the whole discussion on a sort of, or the whole thing on a discussion about censorship, free speech, and whether tech company platforms... Uh, are now public commons and should be regulated as such and this to me is actually a much more interesting conversation at least in terms of what kind of society we want. I don't necessarily think that a slippery slope exists such that if we implement regulations on hate speech or fraudulent ads online that we will slip into an authoritarian dictatorship but I do think we need a, a more nuanced discussion about the nature of speech online and how much regulation is acceptable and when it could go too far etc mm-hmm. etc cetera, et cetera. I think that's an important discussion I just don't think Ezra's the one who should be having it so that was, that was a lot of we don't bit... want his speech basically oh yeah well he's like I want to be able to like call for the execution of Muslims It's probably what he wants on this show that's disgusting but I am guess if he had like full reign I bet mm-hmm. you he would totally do it Ezra then interviews Andrew Lawton about carbon taxes which is like, snore boring mm-hmm. so <laughs> just gonna move on from that To uh, the 29th. So just when you thought we were done, we're now on to Hitler. (laughs) Ezra begins this episode by talking about a a speech given by Angela Merkel, who's the Chancellor of Germany for anyone who lives under a rock, and she argued quite cogently that freedom of expression does not mean freedom from consequences, Mm -hmm. and that there should be limits to speech such as when speech violates the freedom of others. And you would also think, given Germany's history, that they would know a thing or two about how speech can uh, violate the freedoms of others. Yeah. But here's how Ezra decides to cover this.
1: Second, and I'm sorry, I just couldn't help thinking of this myself. Look at the arm pounding. A bit. I mean, this is Adolf Hitler, and I'm obviously not comparing Merkel to Hitler. That's not fair. She's not a Nazi, obviously. I'm not saying that, but... My, shouting my, and banging and, a podium, arms like this, like that. Watch her do that. I'm sorry. There was something in how she delivered these remarks that made me think of that. Maybe that's mean, but that's, that's what my mind did. Someone pounding a podium, shouting in German, while saying that for the good of society, we have to restrict freedom.
2: Notice he does the same rhetorical trick, which is to be like, I'm not, I'm not comparing her to Hitler just look at all these things of me comparing her to Hitler, right? Like, just because you say you're not doing something and then you immediately do something doesn't mean that you didn't do it. But also, like, when I watched the video of Angela, it didn't remind me of Hitler. (laughs) But, like, also, like, for him to play the clip of Hitler there as, as, like, a juxtaposition, like, what he's doing is trying to instill in his audience of, of, like, a comparison here like that is really really terrifying nothing that Merkel said really indicated that she was like Hitler other than like let's focus on the way she's speaking which is stupid but it, it gets super worse so I'll just move into the, the super worst part of that
1: look Merkel's policies are not just undermining Germany they're undermining all of Europe because Europe has no internal borders uh, so by bringing in millions of Muslim migrants to Germany She's also doing so to every other European country in what's called the Schengen zone. That's a European zone of more than a dozen countries. I note that Merkel has no children of her own. And I mentioned that. I think it's relevant. She's in the twilight of her life. She looks tired. She looks like a candle that's sputtering out. She's done. Her line is done. Her
2: Her line is
1: done. Nickname is Mutter Merkel. Mother Merkel, because this is so obviously a psychological projection on her part. She will be the mother to millions, even if she is actually the mother to none. It's so strange. She she hates Germany in a way. She wants to undo it in a way. In that way, she's definitely the opposite of Hitler and my comparison earlier. My comparison was about the speaking style, the rhetorical trickery, but
2: I (laughs) when I when I first heard that, like my, my jaw dropped. Uh for one, that like the whole talk about Merkel's line being done, which is a very weird time to start talking about someone's genetic heritage coming to an end in the context of, of Nazi Germany. But then also talking about how Muslim immigrants are destroying Germany is a bit on the nose <laughs> considering yeah. the arguments made against the Jews by the Nazis. And then lastly, Ezra argues that Hitler loved Germany. And Angela is bad, because unlike Hitler, she doesn't really love Germany. Because if she really loved Germany, she would continue to have white babies and keep the Muslims out. So That's... Merkel should be more like Hitler? Yeah. Like, he doesn't outright say it. But, like, those are just logical extensions of what he just laid out.
0: Yeah.
2: Ezra likes Hitler. <laughs> Oh, my God. And he's suing people for calling him a Nazi. So, please, if you're being sued by it, <laughs> this is so fucked up. I had no. when I initially started doing this, I was like, was not prepared that we were going to have this much Nazi and Hitler stuff. Let's
0: not do the Nazi. Well, yeah, but this. You were like, don't say it. Mm, uh, no.
2: Well, I mean, that was before we had a really good defense. <laughs> All you
0: have to look up is what fascism is, and what fascism is tied to, which is Nazism, so...
2: No, I know, but that's the that, to me, is, like, the comparison case. Like, when you... Because here's the thing, is, like, the comparisons that he makes between Merkel and Hitler are silly, because it's, like, you're talking about hand gestures and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But, like, when people call Ezra a Nazi, the comparisons they're making has to do with the fact that his ideology is closer in proximity to fascism than it is to other ideologies and in that case he's closer to nazism than he would be to any other ideology and so in that sense the comparison is apt even though that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, he's going to start executing jews yeah but again he super fucking hates muslims and i have no reason to believe that if if given the opportunity he wouldn't go down that path Uh, so then he starts talking about censorship, claiming that the case against rebel for not registering as a third party is really some conspiracy about the government trying to silence speech. Uh, remember he has this case ongoing in, uh, Alberta. And again, this, this is not what is happening, (laughs) uh, what is actually happening is that Sheila's book and lawn signs, which were funded by foreign oil lobby money, because again, they get their funding from Cokes and other things, or possibly do. And the argument is that those signs and books were used to try to influence a Canadian election, and they didn't register as a third party. Yeah. And doing that is illegal if in fact they did it. Yeah. And Jason Kenny brings this up in question period and basically defends rebel without saying their name and actually last night jason kenny did a similar thing again in a press conference defending rebel without saying their name and i think this is fucking disgusting because if he's going to defend them use their fucking name connect yourself to them but he doesn't want to connect himself to them, so he's like playing this stupid game appealing to his base without identifying who he's talking about right I also found out that Jason Kenny wrote the foreword to Ezra's very first book. So he's, <laughs> these two are connected, have a long history together. However,
0: is that surprising though?
2: No, it's not surprising at all. No. However, even if Kenny is defending him, the case is thankfully still going forward and Ezra is still pissed off about it. So it's weird that Kenny would be defending him, yet is allowing the people to continue mm-hmm. with the case. Anyways, I don't know how much control he has over that. Ezra then ends the week with an interview with someone named Tariq Fatah, who's framed as being, uh, well, the talk is framed about being about the protests that happened at York University. Yeah. Even though the interview barely stays on that topic. Ezra does claim, however, that the protests against a member of the Israeli Defense Force who was giving a talk at York University, he says that these protests were anti-Semitic, claiming that people were chanting to put Jews in the oven, even though there's no evidence that this occurred which uh, we will get to in my my interview. Okay. Uh, but the interview with Tariq Fatah mostly surrounds the issue of Jews in Islam, with Tariq claiming that Islamic prayers across Canada are mostly anti-Semitic. And he gives some weird historical reading of the Quran and claims that this reading is widely held and basically claims that Jews are cursed. And so most of the prayers around Canada are... Islam or Muslims are calling for the Jews to be cursed or something. Uh, And that's pretty much the whole talk. And I won't go into too much detail about Tariq now. I've uh, had run-ins with him online and other things. He's a complicated figure who's kind of like Salim Mansur in that he's a Muslim that holds negative views against other Muslims. Mm -hmm. And I say he's complicated because there's some views that he's done that I don't think were necessarily bad, or at least he didn't used to be as bad as he is now. So he was trying to promote gay rights within the context of Islam, which I don't think is a bad thing. But he's also engaged recently in a lot of conspiracy claims. So he claimed that the Quebec mosque shooter was actually supported by Muslims who sort of like worked with him to engage in the shooting. Which there's absolutely no evidence that that's the case. And the last thing I want to talk about in this interview is that Ezra claims that, uh, that what happened at York, he describes it as harsh and brutal anti-Semitism, which is the protesters against the IDF person. And he, he says that uh, when he was growing up, this kind of brutal anti-Semitism just wasn't a thing. And I call BS on this, for one, because Palestinian activists have been on campus for about as old as Ezra is. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And not that I think they're anti-Semitic, but like, they've been protesting for that long. Yeah. But also like, like, again, he he loves to just downplay the history of anti-Semitism. And we're going to find out in his book that we're going to be reviewing, he spends a whole chapter... Basically, trying to undermine the existence of Nazis in Canada. And so we're going to get to it. (laughs) But, like, this is a that was written in 2009. So it's like for 10 years he's been claiming there is no white supremacist, anti Semitic. Yeah. But again, skinheads and neo Nazis, as well as Holocaust deniers, were all present in the 80s and 90s, even being parodied in films. Hey,
4: what's going on?
1: Ah, those bums won their court case, so they're marching today.
2: What bums?
1: The fucking Nazi party.
2: Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Long history, but there existed neo-Nazis. It's not like these weren't things that were happening. But also, I think it's really interesting. I just found this out too, and I'm going to have to do a bit more digging. But in the early 90s, the racist group Heritage Front actually attempted to infiltrate the Reform Party of Canada. They were not successful, obviously, but I do find it interesting that they chose the Reform Party and so did Ezra because he got his start in political activism by helping to organize for the Reform Party. Now, the attempt of infiltration occurred in 92 and Ezra didn't start working for them until 97. And this doesn't mean that Ezra supports the Heritage Front, Front, but... I do want to suggest that they reside in a shared ecosystem. Much like we were talking earlier about the comparison with Nazism, there's a reason why Ezra is closer to that lineage because he he does engage in very fascistic behaviors and has very fascistic opinions. And so it's no wonder both the Heritage Front and Ezra wanted to be a part of the same party. I guess we're now going to get to our, our interview. And the interview is with someone I know. Their name is Mo Al and they helped to organize the protest at York University. They're a member of the Students Against Israel Apartheid at York University, where we basically discussed what happened at, at York, why this protest was held, why they invited the people, but also talked about the allegations uh, about anti Semitism. So, yeah. All right. I have with me Mo Alkasim. Alkasim? Alkasim, yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you were involved in the York University protests last weekend. So to just, I guess, frame it, why don't you tell us uh, what happened at York University? What was the plan? Talk about who planned it, who organized the counter response, and maybe some details if you're comfortable with the extent of your involvement in helping to organize it.
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so for those for those who are listening and haven't really uh, kept up with what's been happening, uh, there was an event on the 20th of November called Reservists on Duty. And the event was hosted by Harut Canada, which just started a club on York University's campus. Uh, now this particular event had IDF soldiers come in to speak and they were speaking particularly about the Arab-Israeli conflict. Uh, they were speaking about BDS and all sorts of stuff.
2: I just wanted to ask: like, was this particular protest because or inspired because the IDF was there? Like, do you do other protests against other sort of like Israeli talks, or was like the the extent to which this was a bigger protest that it got a lot of news coverage was that because of the presence of the IDF soldier?
3: Yeah, it was definitely because of the presence of the IDF. Like, we're not, uh, we're not gonna go. No one, no one's gonna go after each and every Israeli event, and that in itself is, you know, it's irrelevant to do anyway. Uh, we're not there to disturb everything that is Israeli, right? Yeah. Uh, what, with this particular event, it's bringing a, a foreign military, uh, be uh, soldiers whom not too long ago were you know were involved in raids and kidnappings and shelling,s bombings, you name it. Right uh, now, that that is slightly uncomfortable. Well, not even slightly. It was very uncomfortable for a lot of the Palestinian students on campus, and I would. I would also extend that to a lot of the racialized students on campus, right? You wouldn't want a foreign military uh, person who's been involved in the destruction of your home. Who's the reason why you're a refugee today or why you've lost a family member or whatnot to be in the same vicinity as you. It's, uh, it's completely insulting. Right. And yeah. And it's very, uh, is very threatening to the safety of the students because the way that the that the IDF soldiers operate and soldiers in general they are uh, military the colonial or colonizing soldiers they have a very dehumanizing way of looking at the other the subjects uh, in this case the palestinians
2: yeah what, so who who planned the event with the IDF soldiers?
3: So the event was planned by Harut Canada. And uh, I don't know why they planned it in the first place. Uh, I, my best assumption is that they're trying to whitewash uh, the crimes of the Israeli army. And they're trying, of course, to uh, spew their propaganda.
2: For those who might not know, like, what... I've never heard of Herut myself. Are they typically uh, staunchly pro-Israel, or is this atypical of them, or or what's the background there? All right,
3: okay, so Herut in itself is one of the political parties in Israel. It's one of the far-right parties. And it was actually started in 1948 by Menachem Begin, who was one of the leaders of uh, the paramilitaries in uh, Israel. Or in mandate Palestine. At a point, uh, he was the leader of the Ergun, and after forty eight, they started uh, Herut Canada, or sorry, they started Herut. Uh, and it it has been, it has been itself that particular party. It has been persecuted in Israel, or it has been on the marginals of the of the political spectrum, right. Uh, as of very recently, uh, they've been trying to make a comeback and they've been trying to uh, popularize themselves uh, within Canada.
2: Oh, so that would explain having a club on a university campus.
3: Yeah, precisely. And they, they themselves identify as unapologetically Zionist. Okay. Uh, which is uh, Which is a little off. Uh, if you compare them to the other Zionist groups that are present, I mean, you know, settler colonialism and occupation—they all buy into it. But this group in particular is, you know, what they say they are. They're unapologetic. They believe in the complete annexation and the uh, and the erasure of the Palestinian people and Palestinian lands.
2: And this is an important thing to ask because our prime minister himself tweeted. Uh, on Wednesday night, violence and racist chants broke out against an event organized by the Jew- Jewish community at York University. So he's describing this Harut group as the Jewish community at, at York. Do you think that's a fair characterization <laughs> of the Jewish community? Or
3: <laughs> Well, I no community is, uh, you know, is monolithic in any way or shape or form, yeah. right? And it's also like, I, before I get into that question, Particular question, it's also very rich of Justin to be chiming in at this point, Uh, particularly after his recent scandals and, you know, blackface and brownface, Uh, like have some humility, you know.
2: I don't know how you think about this, but I wondered with they recently uh, joined on one of these UN pacts against uh some of the stuff going on in the middle east and got a lot of pushback from the right so i was wondering if this tweet was a way of him to kind of like ameliorate the the is pro-israel side of the liberal party that might be upset that he joined that un treaty pact thing that they just did recently but I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. <laughs> I don't think it's a very... For one, I don't think it would be a very successful tact anyways, because no matter what they do, the right wing is always going to think that they're evil Islamifa, or Islam Islamists or whatever, right?
4: <laughs>
3: yeah. No, it, it, it's probably to appease, you know, his Zionist base in general. Because obviously with the way that Canada voted recently in the UN... Uh, A lot of his base were probably upset at that uh, and he wanted to just try to reconcile a little bit right and that's probably the reason why he spoke the way he spoke or he tweeted the way he tweeted but it's also like going back to the main question it's it's almost it's almost racist in itself to claim that the that the event was you know, hosted or started by the Jewish community, and you know, having not having not looked at Hillel's statement, Hillel York's statement, uh, or the Independent Jewish Voices statement, Hillel itself distanced you know distanced their organization from the event, and uh, asked Herut Canada or Herut at York not to have the event. Uh, the, independent, uh, the Independent Jewish Voices uh, had an eyewitness uh, testimony and they published it on their page and on their website. Uh, many of the Jewish groups and, uh, you know, and even some of the Zionist groups had very different views about it, about the event itself and having soldiers on campus. Uh, so to say it's hosted by the Jewish community is just, it's absurd, right? And, and just as you know, as with all the other politicians from the conservatives and the liberals, uh, they, they always want to paint everything that is related to Israel, uh, as an extension of the Jewish community and as an absolute, uh, opinion or as an absolute uh, uh, conclusion from the Jewish community.
2: Yeah, that's a common trend with listening to The Rebel as well, uh, given that this is a a rebel podcast. For example, uh, they released recently with Abigail Haman, who is a reporter of theirs, who was interviewing people on York's campus. And she even described the the people who invited the soldier as, or or the side... uh, of the protest that invited the soldier as being pro-Jew rather than pro-Israeli. And I guess this week on The Rebel, uh, Tariq Fatah also described Islam as being essentially anti-Jewish. Not to mention that Ezra has before, (laughs) in talks that we've talked about on our show, uh, claimed that only, only the real Jews are those who support Israel. All other Jews are kind of like not really Jewish. And to me, like these these essentialist characterizations of Islam and Judaism are far more racist and sinister than being against or critical of a particular state that engaged in violent oppression and
3: occupation. I get the point, and it's always been a question that we're having to, you know, having to answer and having to address, Uh, but, but for some reason these politicians and, you know, particular media channels don't seem to get it at all. They're, you know, they have a, they have a record, uh, and they're that's playing in their head. That says that everything that is Israel must be everything that is Jewish. right? Right. And well, as far as, as far as I've seen, as far as I've heard from at least the Canadian public, uh, they don't really necessarily agree with that. Most people do actually make the differentiation that not everything that is related to Israel uh, relates to Judaism or Jewishness. Uh, But they seem to keep trying to hammer that point so as to make the Canadian public unquestionably uh, pro-Israel.
2: I wonder if it serves as well as a way of Mitigating the extent uh, towards people speaking up, because I think some people just stay silent on this issue because they're worried about being accused of, of anti-Semitism. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. It's definitely it's definitely used for that purpose as well, and particularly with the uh, you know the recent rise of the alt right, and which also ha- which also you know brought with it an extreme rise in anti-Semitism. and we've seen attacks on synagogues and. Attacks in Jewish community centers by uh, alt right militants, right? right. Uh, but they seem to try to absolve that.
2: There's there's this weird, obvious hypocrisy in that uh, the one side that seems to incubate anti Semites. Uh, are the ones who are criticizing the pro-Palestinian protesters as being anti-Semitic. So, you know, Faith Goldie openly mocked Jews on the rebel and then was kicked off the rebel only when she decided to go on a neo-Nazi podcast. And since then, she has even uttered the 14 words and other stuff. Uh, (laughs) And now you have like in England, they're trying to smear Jeremy Corbyn as being an anti-Semite. And in the States, they tried to do that with Ilhan Omar. Now, with Bernie, it's a bit trickier for obvious reasons to to (laughs) get him as an anti semite Yeah, but I mean, he's the only one who's defended uh, the Palestinians openly during the presidential race. Uh, And so I I guess, what do you make of this current trend for the right to label all their opponents anti-Semitic? Given that anti-Semitism tends to be more often a position that's most common on the right. And do you think there is any uh, legitimacy to the claim that there's anti-Semitism on the left?
3: I don't want to make a complete claim for its illegitimacy. I I cannot speak for everyone who is on the left, right, and it's, yeah. it's a far stretch. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't also call it legitimate at all. The the everything I've seen uh, regarding anti-Semitism uh, has come from the right. And it's come from people like Faith Goldie, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's come from these fanatic right wings like Robert Spencer. Uh, so, and, and going back to the point about anti-Semitism, I I think what they're trying to do, or what what they're effectively doing, is redefining it. Uh, Anti-Semitism, as we know it, uh, has always been, you know, the hatred or the ill feelings towards Judaism and Jewishness and Jews. Uh, What the Israeli state has been trying to propagate towards the international community and the public is that there's a new form of uh, anti-Semitism. That's, uh, you know, anti-Israel. And by extension, anything that is critical of Israel or its policies is now anti-Semitic as well, right? And uh, it's very weird because they also called, you know, the JDL, uh, the JDL people have also called uh, an event with Suzanne Weiss, who's a Holocaust survivor. They called that anti-Semitic. Uh, it's completely beyond me. Why would you call? Why would you call an event with a Holocaust survivor anti-Semitic? That that just really drives the point home that anything that is speaking in favor of uh, Palestinian human rights uh, is, an, is an anti-Semitic uh, attack as far as they're concerned.
2: Right. I guess getting back to the protest itself at York, uh, now that I think we've covered the, the wide sweeping array of, uh, of the issue here, uh, what was the plan? in terms of like organizing the the protest against the the talk
3: what we planned essentially was to peacefully rally around the event hall to protest it and whatnot uh now we started gathering on the first floor of very hall right and we tried to make our way upstairs because the event was being held uh, on the second floor and as soon as we as soon as we reach the end of the staircase, uh, towards the second floor, there's an immediate ambush sort of, uh, by the JDL thugs and, you know, pro IDF guys. And you've had, we've like, there's, there were a few of them who, who were dressed in like, uh, Israeli military shirts and make America great again, hats and whatnot. <laughs> and they were—they uh, immediately started trying to push and shove us down the staircase. And our marshals uh, built a, a body wall to separate the two crowds. Uh, police tried uh, to do, you know, to do some de-escalation. I wouldn't say they actually tried, even. They were just sitting there watching for the most part. Uh, once we realized that, you know. They're not going to even let us, you know, walk up to the second floor. We just walked back down. We're like, okay, we're going to avoid the complete clash with them. We don't want that because at that point they they tried to choke someone. Uh, uh, they threw punches at a couple of people and yeah, they've done a bunch of other stuff. So we went down the staircase and went through another staircase and that, uh, the route that we took immediately uh, put us in two hallways that are to the left and to the right of the lecture hall. And they've also managed to, you know, to shift their weight towards where we were now. And they clashed with us again. And uh, the police and the security and the marshals all came in between for the most part, uh, but it was mainly the marshals who were uh, trying to de-escalate or trying to break off any incidents that could have happened or anything that did happen. Uh, so at that point, we just kept uh, you know, chanting and whatnot and having short 30 second, one minute or one minute speeches uh right outside of the lecture hall until until you know their event was nearly done now there were also there were also some individuals on the inside who attempted to you know to protest the event and these individuals they raised you know pictures of uh, people who died recently in gaza or in the west bank or wherever or they tried to raise a palestinian flag and they immediately got jumped uh, and the videos are there, right? Uh, where, where a guy and a woman, they raise a the Palestinian flag and three, four dudes behind them, they immediately jump them from the back. And then, you know, what you hear on the media is like, you know, there are clashes and they're being violent and blah, blah, blah. you know They're anti-Semites. Uh, when all the evidence is there that, all the JDL uh, thugs and uh, the pro-IDF guys were just jumping people left, right, and center.
2: I mean, there's also something to that. Uh, like, I've been someone who has uh, stood up and said things during a talk and got police escorted out. Uh, and usually that's what happens. The police are the ones or the security are the ones that escort you out. it it's usually a sign that there's something wrong with the crowd if they're the ones who turn on you and start beating you just for holding a flag up.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Like, I mean, they claim that they're for free speech and all that good stuff. And then the moment somebody speaks about something, you know, that they don't necessarily agree with or they don't like, they immediately get violent. Um, So, you know, speaks, speaks to their character
2: it's annoying too, with how like these, with the, the so-called clashes have been covered because a lot of the video doesn't show how these things begin. They always take you to a clip in the middle of it and seeing people fighting. And, and part of me is like, it's likely as well that maybe in certain skirmishes, one of the pro Palestinian people would have pushed back first or fought back first. But I don't think that's entirely illegitimate either. Right? Like, they're messy situations when you have two people with opposing positions who are very agitated and like some of them are holding very violent messages and pushing back, right?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I've, seen, I've seen those uh, particular videos that, and they played them on, you know, the major Canadian channels. And it's, it's a two to four second looped video. What was happening on, this, uh, on the main staircase?
2: Yeah, that was the big one.
3: Oh, yeah, that was the big one. That was the quote-unquote clash, you know, the violence that erupted, uh, the tremors that have been sent, the lovely language. (laughs) I love their sense of theater. Um, So, uh, yeah, they take that couple second video and they loop it and they just keep playing it and replaying it over and over again until people actually believe that this is, You know, this is exactly what happened everywhere on, you know, on that particular day. And it was just clashes after, you know, clash after clash, clash after clash. Uh, But here's the thing, like that particular incident that they played, it was at the very beginning of the protest where like the JDL guys were pushing people down the staircase, right? And people are almost falling off the staircase and they're just trying to push back. And like the guys, uh, the guys from the, you know, from the pro Zionist side, now they start throwing punches. So these guys on the pro Palestinian side are trying to like block block their punches or like push them back or whatnot.
2: But now they're fighting back and well, that's how it's characterized.
3: <laughs> yeah, and uh, the, po- uh, the police all of a sudden gets involved and now they're making detentions or arrests, but they're not making detentions or arrests of any like, bikers or JDL guys or IDF guys and they're making arrests on like the human rights activist side. Uh, So that was like essentially what was happening and they just found a way to like clip the entire video, uh, or sorry, clip part of that video or that scene and trick everyone into believing that it was just eruptions and clashes, which is not necessarily a new thing for the media to do uh, they're always going to do that.
2: It's the kind of like both sidesism kind of thing. It's like both sides are bad. They're just equally clashing.
3: Yeah. I just wanted to say quickly, like, and like, I mean, fair enough. At some points you, you can say both sides and whatnot, but like in this particular, in this particular event, like you cannot even equate the, the two sides, right? Like you had one side, which was almost entirely composed of students. And like TAs and union members and whatnot, yeah. then you had on the other side, like military dudes and bikers, who had no connection to the university campus whatsoever.
2: Well, that's true. I mean, that's 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 the way those talks usually are. Because there's usually not especially not at York. If if anyone knows York, there's not a huge like (laughs) far right contingent on it. I mean, there exists probably far right people on campus. They just don't represent uh, that larger group probably. But the other thing that was claimed was that there was a chance of overt anti-Semitism, such as chance about ovens. Uh, I mean, there's no video evidence of that, but I was wondering if one, you could speak to that, but also Uh, the rebel claimed that certain chants about intifada are anti-Semitic. So I guess if you could speak to both those things, one about the ovens and then the other about the intifada chants. Yeah.
3: Well, I was there uh, for like the entire night, uh, except when I was like getting ambushed and like having jabs thrown at me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I, I, I actually did not hear any, uh, "Quote unquote," go back to the oven's chant. And here's the funny thing about this: is that uh, the person who reported this chant reported it to the Jerusalem Post, and that person was uh, the IDF soldier who was in the event, and he claimed that he heard, you know, the crowd chanting it while he was setting up. Right, <laughs> while he was setting while he was setting up on the second floor, we would have been. Uh, on the first floor, just like riling people up and stuff. And then, you know, the Jerusalem Post couldn't verify their, their source. And two days later, two women who were supposedly in the, in the crowd, uh, in the actual lecture hall itself, came out, came out of the woodwork and they said, oh, we heard these chants and blah, 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 and we have videos. And then like none of these videos surfaced. Here's the funny part about all of this is that most of the cameras uh most of the recording material was on their side. It, like if they were able to catch if they were able to catch uh, that you know if anyone was able to catch that chant in particular it would have been them. But it didn't happen, right? And that's why they have no video evidence of it. Yeah. Uh, as regarding the second chant about intifadas and whatnot, well, in Arabic, the word intifada means uh, to shake off or to resist. Now, it's particularly towards events that happened in uh, between 87 uh, and 93 and then 2000 until 2006 was, that are called the first and the second intifadas. And those particular events were you know, where Palestinian civil society was resisting the military occupation, right? And they're resisting the Israeli forces. Yeah. Uh,
2: so anti-Semitic. Yeah, is- right?
3: <laughs> yeah. Extremely. And here's like, but if you if you want if we could if we take that word in itself and we apply it to our context here, I mean I guess we're You know we're pulling off an intifada when we're like fighting doug ford's government and his you know cuts uh we're pulling off an intifada we we had an intifada when we voted out harper because we were resisting harper uh (laughs) uh, yeah it's just an absurd claim that this particular word is anti-semitic in itself and here's their rationale here their rationale is oh during the intifada there were attacks that were launched uh against you know the israeli army and whatnot uh so by extension attacking the israeli army uh that's a, uh, that's an attack on jews and judaism and therefore the word intifada is anti-semitic <laughs> which is i guess not it's a bit of a stretch out there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a bit, a bit of a stretch. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh so I guess to to wrap things up, wondering so if you've uh, actually before we wrap things up, I got one more question because you you had told me you wanted to go off on the rebels. So was was there anything particular that you wanted to say about the, the rebel and uh, either previous engagements like this or? Because I know that all they did was send a, a reporter to campus like a couple of days after the protest. But uh, any thoughts on the Rebel?
3: <laughs> uh, not the greatest channel out there.
2: Uh,
3: <laughs> do not watch the Rebel. It's awful. I act. I accidentally watched one of their episodes once or twice and. Ugh.
2: well i've now I've now tortured myself because i I made myself listen to them every day <laughs> for the past three months
3: here's here's the thing here's the thing what happened what I've heard on campus is when uh you know Abigail was on campus with her camera crew, they started randomly interviewing students and like asking them questions and recording them uh, and they're like you know trying to answer and then she wraps things up and tries to move on. And the students are like, wait, what is this for? I didn't sign up for this. Like, can you please not put this up kind of thing? Uh, Jesus. And their response is, I don't, we don't care. No, they don't. So care. us if you want? Yeah. are like, we're, we're not going to get your consent. We're just going to put whatever you said on a videotape, even though you didn't really know who you're speaking for or what the event was about. <laughs>
2: And that's, you know, it's not just, it's not just Abigail. All the reporters do that. Like Bex, Bext, uh, David Menzies. That's their whole tactic is to just harass people, harass people, harass people, and then throw it online and like mock it. That's <laughs> that's their MO.
3: Uh, uh, they don't- yeah, oh, they all do that. Yeah. And then they call them snowflakes.
2: Yeah. Uh so anyways, I guess I guess we'll wrap it up. I guess uh if you wanna if if there's anything going on at York you wanna pitch in the near future, but also uh is there anything else that people can do to help fight for Palestinian rights?
3: Uh yeah, there is actually. There's the BDS movement, which is always which is always existent. Uh you could always uh endorse the BDS campaigns that are happening around you. You could uh, pass a BDS resolution around you that is always possible. Uh,
2: I guess in full disclosure, I should say I, I, I was working with you to help to try to do that within the NDP. So
3: <laughs> <laughs> that worked. I, I, I love that. That was the one of the best weekends I've ever spent. It yeah. was, uh, <laughs> <trip>. <laughs> uh, you know, we might try to do it again in the near future,
2: always. And I'd be, uh, Glad to do it with you
3: again. Yeah, i would be happy to. But uh, yeah, that's always happening. You could, I, at the current moment, I would say that the best way to support Palestinians and all you know other oppressed groups is actually uh, dismantling the bullshit narratives. You know that mainstream media and you know this marginal bullshit media, like the rebel, keep trying to propagate uh like you, you any any human being with any common sense in them shouldn't fall for their tricks uh, and you should always inquire about what actually happened and get the evidence and actually do speak out when it's time to speak out right uh that's like that's naturally what i would think is best for helping the case of the palestinians if you see a bullshit article out there uh Call the producer, uh, call the editor, and just question them about it because they cannot verify their sources.
2: Well, I guess that's a good note to end on. Thank you for making history for being our first interview on uh, Imperial News.
3: (laughs) Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jody. I'm happy to be here.
2: what you've heard so far (laughs) please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news if you want to stay informed about what we are doing you can also find us on twitter at imperial news with a z we have a private facebook group called imperial news we also have a discord set up you can find the link on our twitter lastly you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com and i will get to some of them at the end of each show if we have any I'd also like to thank my friend Mason Tickle who provided the Star Wars Inspired Transition Beats. He has an album. You can find it at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And if you find yourself defending Hitler, you're the bad guy. Yeah. And you should stop it.
1: Albumbia, Albumbia,
4: how lovely are your wheat fields?